This Family Life News Podcast is made possible by the support of listeners like you. It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. State of the Union. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. President Biden's third State of the Union address is just hours away. He'll explain tonight to the American people why he thinks he deserves to be reelected. White House spokeswoman Karine Jean-Pierre. Looking at what President Biden faced when he came into office and where we are now, it is clear he's got more done in the first three years than most presidents have accomplished in two terms. Republican Senator John Barrasso. Mark my words, tonight will be Joe Biden's last State of the Union address. And that's because the American people are not going to invite him back to give another one next year. Mark Thiessen with the American Enterprise Institute says the president would not be telling the truth tonight if he claims the state of our union is strong. Do you think the state of the union is strong? Does anyone think the state of the union is strong? 73% of Americans say we're heading in the wrong direction. And with polls showing most Americans having serious concerns about the president's mental state, performance will matter as much as policy tonight, say the experts. I think this might be one of the most critical campaign speeches that Mr. Biden delivers. This is it. We're down to the last eight months of the campaign. And with the high-stakes election coming up, Mark Thiessen says the most important question going forward is, how will Nikki Haley's voters vote. Nikki Haley is out of the race, but her voters will probably decide the 2024 election. They are the swing voters of 2024, and they're going to decide this race. Immigration, the economy, and two foreign wars expected to be major themes tonight at the State of the Union address. IVF is back in Bama. That southern state has taken steps to protect fertility clinics after a controversial ruling from the courts. Reporter Laura Jarrett. It's been only two weeks since that court decision brought IVF in Alabama to a virtual standstill, the reaction and frustration so palpable, lawmakers actually managed to pass new legislation in record time. Reporter Jennifer Kuyper continues our coverage from Montgomery. In Alabama, SB 159 has passed. And with passage by the State House and Senate and with Alabama Governor Kay Ivey's signature, the state now has legislation protecting in vitro fertilization providers from lawsuits and criminal prosecution for the damage or death of an embryo during IVF services. Governor Ivey says in a statement that she anticipates there will be more work to come, but right now she's confident that SB 159 will provide the assurances Alabama IVF clinics need and will lead them to resume services immediately. Last month, the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos have the same rights as children, and because of that decision, many IVF facilities shut down fearing they'd be sued for wrongful death. The U.S. House holding a hearing today on why the federal government is working with banks to flag private transactions by U.S. citizens. Some of the terms that were flagged include the words MAGA and Trump, as well as store names like Dick Sporting Goods, Cabela's, and Bass Pro Shop. America should be terrified that the government is working with big banks, colluding with them to spy on Americans' private financial data to determine whether a risk or a threat or some kind of domestic terrorist. Jeremy Tedisco is an attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom. One of the materials that the U.S. Treasury Department and the FBI shared with these banks 
to identify domestic terrorists is a so-called hate list that put blacklists out of organizations they don't like, and we're on one of those lists. So you know, everyday Americans are being caught up in this dragnet of financial data surveillance. So that's very concerning. The Treasury Department defends the surveillance, calling it a matter of national security. And efforts afoot on Capitol Hill to force TikTok to sever ties with communist China. If it doesn't, TikTok could be no more. Reporter Scott McFarlane. TikTok offers a stage for millions. But soon, the curtain could be coming down, including for Kim Pham, who says she leans heavily on TikTok to lure customers. So follow us to come along on this journey. To her company in California. TikTok as a platform has represented a very kind of meaningful and new way that we reach consumers. Critics say TikTok poses a national security risk because of its ties to China. More than half of all Americans use TikTok on a daily basis. The U.S. is calling on the Prime Minister of Haiti to expedite the transition of political power as security collapses in that country. Prime Minister Ariel Henry has been in Puerto Rico since Tuesday. Armed gangs are threatening civil war in Haiti if he doesn't resign. The Haitian government declared declared a state of emergency Sunday after those gangs attacked two jails in Port-au-Prince. Thousands of prisoners escaped, and today Haiti is in a free fall. New York is deploying a 1,000 National Guardsmen and state police troopers to the city's subway system. Governor Hochul says it's all in an effort to drive down crime. Anyone looking to do harm or spread fear on our subways, you will be caught, plain and simple. There will be consequences. This has to end. Danny Perlstein with the Writers Alliance is not a fan of the beefed-up police presence. Deploying troops to the subway is going to scare more people than it's going to keep safe. And that's not the direction we want to go in. The troops and officers will also be conducting random bag checks on the New York City subway system. Researchers at Boston University have evidence of traumatic brain injury in the Army gun instructor who killed 18 people last year at a bar and a bowling alley in Maine. 40-year-old Robert Card killed himself after the massacre. His body was found a couple of days later in a trailer at a recycling plant in Maine. The woman in charge of weapons on the set of the Alec Baldwin movie Rust has just been convicted. Jurors say Hannah Gutierrez-Reed is guilty of manslaughter. This case is about constant, never-ending safety failures. Gutierrez-Reed was in charge of nearly 20 weapons on the set, including the prop gun held by Alec Baldwin that killed a cinematographer in the fall of 2021. Baldwin's trial is set for July. Still to come on the Noon Report, transgender debate in the Heights, house cleaning at One Bill's Drive, and where's the beef at Oscar Mayer? Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams going for the clearing trend to progress through the region today setting us up for a nice day tomorrow. Not so much, though, for the weekend. We'll have forecast details in 10. All right, Kevin, we'll see you then. In the meantime, let's check the stories making news where you live across New York and Pennsylvania. The Elmira Heights, New York School District has accepted the resignation of a teacher who allegedly denied a transgender elementary student access to the bathroom of the opposite sex. That incident prompted a huge turnout last week at a school board meeting. Elmira Heights Superintendent Mike Gill 
says the teacher violated New York's Dignity for All Students Act. That educator had 37 years experience in the district. Gill says the decision to resign was the teacher's, not the district's, adding that the teacher did not want to cause divisiveness in that district. Nassau County, New York Executive Bruce Blakeman is suing Attorney General Tish James over her efforts to block his transgender athlete ban. Last month, Blakeman issued the first in the nation executive order banning biological boys from participating in women's sports. You know, it's interesting. People who believe in God know that there is a biological difference between males and females. People who don't believe in God and believe in science, they know too that there's a biological difference between males and females. And let me say something about these transgender males. Shame on you. You're bullying. New York's AG sent a cease and desist letter to Blakeman ordering him to rescind his effort to protect girls' sports. She says that order violates New York's anti-discrimination laws. But Blakeman contends it is not discriminatory because biological males can still play in male and co-ed sports. Pennsylvania politicians have introduced a bill that helps prospective college students comparison shop so they get the best bang for their buck when it comes to higher education costs. This mom admits there's a lot of stress when it comes to the college selection process. You want to choose a college that you're going to be able to pay for. You know, how much debt do you want to have? And are you going to be able to pay back that debt with the salary that you're going to make in your first year? New legislation in Harrisburg mandates the Pennsylvania Education Department create a comparison tool on the state website. That will allow any student to be able to compare one institution to the next, see what the real cost of attending is, what the average uh, cost per student is, room and board scholarships that may be available so that they have side-by-side -side comparison. The bill before the Pennsylvania General Assembly allows parents and students to see online the real costs of college for themselves. New York State is prepping for next month's rare solar eclipse. Here's Liz Warner. Governor Hochul announcing a range of activities and events at state parks and historic sites to celebrate the eclipse passing through western New York, the Finger Lakes, and the Adirondacks April 8th. Events will be held both where the eclipse will be fully visible, the so-called Path of Totality, and also those areas statewide where visitors can catch a glimpse of the rare partial eclipse. After the April 8th event, the next total solar eclipse won't happen until the summer of 2044. A formerly incarcerated New York State Assemblyman wants to give prisoners $2,500 once they're released. How come? Here's Family Life's Jeremy Miller. Manhattan Democrat Edward Gibbs introduced a bill to create a $25 million dollar fund to pay for the stipend. Currently, released inmates get $40, public transportation, and a non-driver ID. Gibbs, who did time for manslaughter as a teen, said the money could help former prisoners pay for basic needs, and supporters say it would give them a better chance to get a job. It costs an estimated average of nearly $115,000 a year to incarcerate just one person. Jeremy Miller, Family Life News. Thank you, Jeremy. Lackawanna County, Pennsylvania is hoping to secure $300,000 in funding for a new program to better battle the opioid crisis. We obviously have a real problem in Lackawanna County, and this is not just a county problem, but a statewide problem and really a problem in the United States with people using fentanyl and, and other uh, drugs. County Commissioner Bill Gaughan says the money would be used for treatment and interdiction services. There's also cash to help communities purchase more of the opioid antidote.
antidote naloxone. If we help one family, one, one young person who uh, is involved in this, if we can help them avoid those terrible circumstances and help them, the, their parents who have to go through the heartache, and we've seen that play out over the last uh, couple of years. Overdose deaths in Lackawanna County have increased more than 25% the past year. Where's the beef? Oscar Meyer is out with meatless hot dogs and sausages. Say what? Mark Mayfield explains. The company announced their not hot dogs and not sausages will hit the shelves later this year. It's a joint venture between their parent company, Kraft Heinz, and the Not Company, a food tech company backed by Jeff Bezos. The company told NBC News the plant-based options are made from bamboo fiber, mushrooms, pea protein, and acerola cherry. I'm Mark Mayfield. Okie dokie. Thank you, Mark. This is the Noon Report, a Thursday edition on the Family Life Radio Network. Let's check sports next. Some house cleaning at One Bills Drive. The Buffalo Bills releasing safety Jordan Poyer, setter Mitch Morse, and cornerback Trevavius White. The move made to get under that salary cap. Running back Naheem Hines and wide receiver Deontay Hardy also let go. Buffalo will likely need to restructure as well quarterback Josh Allen's contract. Tough loss for the Buffalo Sabres last night. They fell for the second straight game in overtime to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Two to one, your final. Here's what it sounded like at the Scotiabank Arena. Tough way to lose for Buffalo. Uka Pekka Lukanen made 25 saves in a losing effort. Buffalo slips to 29-29-5 on the season, currently in sixth place in the Eastern Conference. The U.S. women's national soccer team is moving on to the Gold Cup finale. They advance on penalty kicks after playing Canada to a 2-2 draw in the semifinal round. The U.S. faces off against Brazil Sunday night in San Diego. Finally, March Madness in high school basketball. The referees admit they blew the call at the end of a New Jersey high school semifinal postseason game between rivals Manasquan and Camden. What looked like a buzzer beating tip in for Manasquan called off and that gave Camden the victory. After further review, the State High School Athletic Association admitting the refs got it wrong. And for the record, there is no instant replay in high school basketball in New Jersey. So maybe next year they'll be making that change in the Garden State. At the Family Life Sports Desk, I'm Bob Price. And still to come on the Noon Report, we'll preview President Biden's State of the Union address tonight. IV treatment is back in Bama, and Hollywood comes to Buffalo. A movie worth watching hits theaters tomorrow. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. In his book, How the Irish Saved Civilization, author Thomas Cahill described the outsized role that the small island played in preserving literacy and learning between the fall of Rome and the emergence of the medieval period. Perhaps if a book on Ireland is written 1,500 years from today, that title might be How the Irish Lost the Civilization It Saved. You see, on March 8th, International Women's Day, a referendum will be held on the island on whether to erase the word mother from the Irish constitution. 
As it was originally written, the Irish Constitution included provisions to protect traditional roles for women, in particular, their role as wives and mothers in the home. Now, some think it would be better, in order to better reflect current sensibilities, if the Constitution read, quote, the provision of care by members of a family to one another by reason of the bonds that exist among them. In other words, no reference to mothers or to women. Now, it might seem like a small change, but it would put Ireland in a position of attempting to be the first nation in history to eliminate from its governing language the words that describe the objective realities about people. After all, people are in reality really boys or girls, men or women. They might be a husband or a wife or a mother or a father. So to redefine or eliminate this linguistic precision really makes no sense outside of an imposition of radical gender ideology, one that seeks to eliminate certain ideas by eliminating words while also implementing new ideas with different words. On the chopping block in this referendum is not only the support for stay-at-home moms and the recognition of the role of women as caregivers, but also the natural family itself. See, another proposed change is to remove reference to marriage as the foundation of the family and the family as the foundation of society. That would enable another change proposed for an earlier section to state that the family is founded either on marriage or on, quote, other durable relationships. Now, to be clear, these changes are as ideological as they are linguistic, an inevitable part of an ongoing frontal assault against Ireland's historical Christian foundations connected to larger trends that have been sweeping through the Western world. Historically, some of those changes go back as far as the Industrial Revolution, when factories replaced households as the fundamental unit of production, and husbands and wives left their homes to work in the factories. Children did too, by the way, until laws were passed to regulate child labor. Few recognized at the time just how the changes brought by the Industrial Revolution would erode the family's central place in society, not to mention family stability as husbands and wives went to work in different places. The exception was in Catholic social teaching. As a result, when the Irish Constitution was written in 1937, the framers sought to protect the family by identifying it as the fundamental building block of society. The specific article regarding mothers aimed to protect them from the economic pressure to go to work. This, like the Constitution's ban on divorce, which was rescinded by referendum in 1995, was intended to protect the family in Ireland. Well, unfortunately, these intentions for protection have proven to be insufficient. Economic pressures and elevated financial expectations have made two-income households the norm in the Western world. Radical strains of feminism and other related ideologies constantly deny the differences between men and women in the workplace and in family life, while constantly portraying traditional family life as oppressive to women. Now, to be clear, Ireland has never been a leading source of these ideas, but when they put them into law, that is a bellwether for whether or not the civilization they once saved will be able to continue. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Thank you, John. Let's take this show outside next. Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast for this afternoon. Where there is still an overcast, skies will clear for sunshine. And where there is sunshine, it'll stay rather sunny. Temperatures this afternoon peaking in the 40s and low 50s, dropping tonight under starry skies toward 30. Tomorrow, ample sunshine and mild, the high in the 50s to near 60. Saturday, cloudy and breezy with rain arriving and high temperatures in the 40s and low 50s. Then colder with rain and snow on Sunday. All right, Kevin, this is the Noon Report. I'm Bob Price. Lots happening Thursday, the 7th of March. Big speech time for President Biden. He delivers his third State of the Union address to a joint session of Congress tonight. The president is expected to lay out his vision for a potential second term and propose 
introduce new taxes on large companies and billionaires. Correspondent Gabe Gutierrez on Capitol Hill. Here's Missouri Senator Eric Schmidt. He's going to try to cast a lot of blame for the problems that we see as a country that are of his own making. But I think when the dust settles and those whoppers are told, the American people are going to be left with the reality, which is they are much worse off now than they were when President Trump was in office. And with a majority of Americans concerned about the president's mental acuity, correspondent Kristen Welker says his performance will matter just as much as his policies tonight. You look at the polls, voters express more concerns about president's age and ability to serve another four years. So he's got to show that fight. He's got to do more than just deliver a list. He's got to tell a story about the Biden presidency. Alabama Senator Katie Britt will deliver the Republican response. The president's speech starts at nine o'clock. A liberal cable news outlet is facing controversy for poking fun at voters' concerns about illegal immigration. The pundits at MSNBC yucked it up during their primetime coverage of Super Tuesday a couple nights ago. Take a listen. If you look at some of these exit polls, I mean, I live in Virginia. Immigration was the number one issue in, in Virginia. Well, Virginia does have a border with West Virginia. Very, very contested area. Build the wall. Like, what? The exchange between liberal anchors Jen Psaki and Rachel Maddow did not sit well with former White House Press Secretary Ari Fleischer. And when Rachel Maddow says, yeah, well, Virginia has a border with West Virginia, what oh. she's saying is that West Virginia, because it's red, it's rural, and it's conservative, is a foreign country because it's foreign to her. And this is the problem with the left. They look down their noses at so many Americans who are working class Americans, who have conservative values, who were raised to hunt, to fish, to pray, and they think there's something wrong with them. A recent Gallup poll finds for the first time in five years, immigration is the top concern of voters going into the presidential election. The U.S. government is urging American citizens in Haiti to get out of there now. There are fears the Haitian government could collapse at any time. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. We've been working with our Haitian partners to put forth uh, a, you know, a plan to, to figure out how do we uh, move forward in restoring uh, restoring democratic order in Haiti through free and fair elections. That is a conversation that we've had, but we are not pushing the prime minister out. Gangs and warlords have overrun Port-au-Prince. The prime minister's in Puerto Rico. Those gangs are threatening civil war unless he resigns. In vitro fertilizations are back in Alabama. Governor Kay Ivey signed a bill granting immunity from prosecution for doctors who handle embryos for implant Roseanne Hagan has more from Montgomery. This is in response to the Alabama Supreme Court saying frozen embryos are human beings. That decision leaned on an Alabama constitutional amendment that protects rights of the unborn. The ruling from the state Supreme Court allowed parents to sue if frozen embryos were destroyed. Researchers at Boston University have studied the brain of 40-year-old Robert Card. He's the guy who shot and killed 18 people people at a bowling alley and bar in Maine last year. Card was an Army reservist and a longtime instructor at a hand grenade training range where he was exposed to thousands of low-level blasts. In her examination, Dr. Ann McKee did not find evidence of CTE. In a statement, Dr. McKee says, quote, while I cannot say with certainty that these pathological findings underlie Mr. Card's behavioral changes in the last 10 months of life, based on our previous work, 
Brain injury likely played a role in his symptoms. Marissa Bogner reporting Carr died of self-inflicted gunshot wound after the October 25th massacre. His body was found a couple days later in the back of a tractor trailer. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis expected to sign soon newly crafted legislation that bans social media accounts for kids. The big difference between last week's bill and this week's is just two years. The bill would ban social media accounts for children under 14 while requiring parental permission for 15 and 16 year olds. The original ban would have hit anybody under 16. Governor Ron DeSantis vetoed it, calling it too restrictive. Peter King in Orlando, Congress may soon take action against the popular social media site TikTok. From dance videos... <laughs> Two thrifting tips. I always check the returns rack near the change room. The future of TikTok could be hanging by a thread. Lawmakers in Washington will review a new bill today requiring the platform to separate itself from its China-based owner or face a ban in the U.S. Tech contributor Ian Schur. Groups like the American Civil Liberties Union are worried that this could be used to break down protections in the First Amendment meant to stop the government from interfering with free expression. That report from Deborah Rod. Rodriguez on Capitol Hill. Everyone thinks they can multitask, but sadly it turns out most of us can't. Multitasking is a made-up marketing word, as scientists say humans just can't do it, as we're wired to be mono. The Cleveland Clinic Academic Medical Center did a study. They found out only 2.5% of all humans can actually successfully do two things at once. They say our brains lose efficiency when we switch from task to task, and that leads to a lot of mistakes and 40% lower products. Productivity. I'm Bree Tennis. All right, Bree, we'll take them one at a time then. You're tuned into the Noon Report, a Thursday edition on Family Life. In a world where women were second-class citizens, but women of faith could change the world. That's the stereotypical movie trailer way of introducing today's Family Life news feature. Cabrini is a New York-based story from 100 years ago. Over the past three years, it was filmed in northwestern New York. To find out about this movie, but more importantly, the unique way a Christian organization is producing major Hollywood-style films, we talk with Jared Giese, who heads up distribution for Angel Studios. Their premiere of Cabrini is this weekend. It is this powerful story about a woman named Francesca Cabrini, and it's set in uh, early 1900s New York, um, Five Points, New York. And so we go back in time to the challenges that she went through to help these children and just the challenges she went through with different prejudices against her as a woman and, you know, in a time when women couldn't vote and women couldn't own property. What she accomplished is just truly staggering. So you're going to be amazed at this film. Not to give away any spoilers here, but this is obviously based on a true story, a woman of faith who did amazing things. Tell us a bit about her life story. Who is Francesca Cabrini? Well, she is an Italian immigrant. Uh, she came to the U.S. with nothing and then built, uh, you know, what, what she calls a, an empire of hope, really, across across the world. But it all started in, in, in early New York, and uh, she set off on uh, a daring mission 
to convince, you know, she had a hostile mayor she had to deal with to help secure housing and health care for some of the most vulnerable. She started with nothing. So what she accomplished as a woman, as an entrepreneur, as a leader is pretty staggering. Even people who are not people of faith or Christians could bring their friends to this. Absolutely. I, mean, I saw one reviewer who was Protestant and watched it. And this film really is for for all believers. And really, we just think for everyone, for all Americans to to see this forgotten story of uh, from American history and be reminded of what we can do if we'll uh, come together and and want to help and, and bring change to the forgotten and to bring dignity to to everyone around us. We're talking with Jared Giese of Angel Studios, a unique movie producer of unique movies. This is a big deal. What what was the process like for the folks to take from idea to script to big time movie? The story was, um, you know, really conceived in, in the heart of uh, the executive producer, Eustace Wolfington. He has just been inspired by Mother Cabrini for his whole career as a as a businessman and, and wanted to get this story to the world and connected with um, Alejandro Monteverde, the writer and director, to tell the story in, in a powerful way. And when you see this film, you're right, the, the response from the critics has been amazing because it's it literally is a work of art. Uh, every frame is a painting on this. And so it's just a beautiful story. Yes, they absolutely shot it in, in the Buffalo area. The way they went about it was a painstaking process to bring early 1900s in New York to life, but they did an amazing job. For our audience, there are a lot of folks that are disappointed with the quality of television and movies and online videos. When there is a movie that is unique and appropriate and wholesome and life-giving, why is it important for people of faith, people who have a value system to support projects like those that are coming out, Cabrini and other productions from Angel Studios? Faith-based filmmaking is mainstream filmmaking because the majority of people, especially majority of Americans, are people of faith. It's a part of most people's experience. And so to see stories that talk through and, and display the reality of what most of us are, are experiencing in our, in our daily lives um, isn't abnormal. It's very mainstream. We're excited for this to stop being a niche and really just return to kind of classic Hollywood filmmaking, if you will. It needs to be good filmmaking, too. And I think that's what's so great about this is that when you go to watch Cabrini, you're not just going for a cause. It's just a good movie. You're going to have fun watching this movie. You're going to be encouraged. Jared Giese is the chief distribution officer for Angel Studios. Their latest production makes a big premiere. As they say, the proverbial theater near you. Cabrini comes out this Friday. I'm Greg Gillespie, Family Life News. All right, Greg, can't wait to see that one. Uh, find out more. Check out Greg's entire conversation at familylife.org. Click on the news tab. You'll find the podcast page there. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. Our recent rainmaker is moving away now. And with higher pressure building in, we have prospects for a nice end to the work week. The weekend itself, though, not as nice. Low pressure will deliver rain and wind later Saturday, Saturday night. Colder air flips rain to snow Sunday and Sunday night. For this afternoon, where there is still an overcast, skies will clear for sunshine. And where there is sunshine, it'll stay rather sunny. Temperatures this afternoon peaking in the 40s and low 50s, dropping tonight under starry skies. 
toward 30. Tomorrow, ample sunshine and mild, but high in the 50s to near 60. Saturday, cloudy and breezy with rain arriving and high temperatures in the 40s and low 50s. Then colder with rain and snow on Sunday. All right, Kevin, thank you very much. Finally, at noon, how a Wisconsin family was able to bring home the bacon. Kevin Bacon showed up unannounced at a family's home in Wisconsin. However, it wasn't the famous actor. Kevin Bacon is a 450-pound pig. He loves to take walks, meet new people, and eat donuts. Jake Mulgard was home Friday night when his wife found something unusual. He said she came into the room when he was watching TV and told him there was a pig on their driveway camera. After a few phone calls, the owner was found and the family brought Kevin home. A one-mile walk that took two and a half hours. The family got Kevin home using Oreo cookies and anything else they could find in the fridge. Kevin Bacon is back home safe and sound and appears to be in good spirits. Brian Query, Family Life News. Here, piggy piggy. Thank you very much, Brian. And just like that, we're out of time, folks. That's our world. The world we live in Thursday, March 7th. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this Family Life News podcast. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, please share it with others and click the subscribe button to automatically receive future episodes. Family Life is a listener-supported ministry. Podcasts like this are made possible by your financial partnership. Find out more at familylife.org.